This is UCD Business Impact, the new podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. And each week we will be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and indeed the world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Now, as many of our listeners will know to this podcast, since the country went into full lockdown back in March, it has been a very tough time, an exacting time for a lot of businesses around the country. But the government, the current government at least, has put in place some very extraordinary measures, some very important measures. And one of those, one of the centerpieces certainly in the business area, is a €2 billion Euro fund to be operated and um, supervised and dispensed by the Irish Strategic Investment Fund. That is what we used to call the National Pension Reserve Fund, effectively the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Ireland. And that organisation is led by its director, Eugene O'Callaghan, who is a UCD BCom graduate, and he's joining me today on the Business Impact podcast. You're very welcome along, Eugene. Thank you, Emmett. Now, this is um, unprecedented times. You are used to dealing with large amounts of money and funds, but you have been given a new set of responsibilities. Before I get into any of that, uh, I'd like to maybe trace your career itself, Eugene, before and after you left UCD. You have been working in fund management, you've been working in accountancy, you've been working in in, um, things like sovereign wealth funds, obviously. Can you just guide me through a little bit since you left UCD, a, a bit of your career trajectory? Sure, uh, Emmett. So uh, I left uh, UCD a long time ago now and did um, uh, chartered accounting with KPMG, very conventional career path, qualified as an accountant. And after that, uh, I moved with KPMG uh, to New Zealand. Um, So I lived in Wellington in New Zealand for five years uh, in the second half of the 1980s. Um, I spent two years of that with KPMG and then I spent three years uh, with an investment bank uh, in New Zealand where I got exposed to you know what was at the time a rapidly deregulating uh, New Zealand economy so got a uh, very interesting huge experience for family reasons then and uh, my wife and I decided to come back to Ireland so I uh, uh, rejoined KPMG for a short time in the corporate finance team in KPMG I've been working in New Zealand in, in that space that's where I had gravitated and uh, then I uh, joined Irish Life uh, a year after that mainly in the corporate finance side and looking after, you know, unquoted private market investments. So I spent 15 really um, great years with Irish Life Investment Managers doing lots of different jobs. Um, I ended up as Chief Operating Officer there. And, um, you know, Irish Life Investment Manager is a very successful business. It's, you know, Ireland's leading investment manager and uh, largest by, uh, by a good way and a very strong business. And I sort of decided then you know, after 15 years there, did I want to keep going? And, you know, I was really more intrigued by a, a new challenge. Um, you know, I was sort of a personal phobia almost about becoming stale. And so a new challenge presented itself in uh, joining the National Pensions Reserve Fund team uh, within the NTMA. And so I joined the NPRF uh, initially to look after our uh, managers in our portfolio in public markets, in equity markets, bond markets, hedge funds, and so on, uh, public market investments. And uh, from there, I became head of the NPRF. And as you've referenced then, uh, over time, the NPRF has morphed into uh, the Ireland Strategic Investment Fund, you know, over the last number of years. 
Uh, Eugene, I noticed from your, your different uh, turning points, 2005 was when you made your move from Irish Life into the National Pension Reserve Fund. And at that time, you know, life looked very rosy for the Irish economy. And what people expected from that rainy day fund was very different from what it um, was needed to do in the years later than that. Was that a big moment for you? I mean, you went in there just before the financial crisis. The, the, the coffers were very full. Uh, it must be quite a dramatic turnaround in the next two or three years after that. It was, um, and it probably the turnaround didn't happen really until probably 2009. So I had three or four years of, you know, uh, being involved in the investment of a sovereign wealth fund, which was, you know, in, invested very conventionally, but it was really interesting. We were getting, you know, access to the very best investment managers in the world. There's a sort of status goes with a sovereign wealth fund, doors get opened. So, you know, I really enjoyed seeing the insides some of the best investment managers in the world and we had a growing fund and everybody was interested in in managing our money so you know that was um they were a few um certainly uh, enjoyable years and then you know when the crisis hit there was a slightly delayed reaction in the sense that the NPRF was not at the top of the priority list relative to you know the exchequer position or the banking system but ultimately in 2010 the Troika arrived, as, as most people will recall, and as part of the Troika program, Ireland had to contribute, uh, I think at the time, around 17 billion euros to, uh, to bailing out uh, AIB and Bank of Ireland and to recapitalizing them. Uh, so the NPRF, uh, so one of my first jobs as head of the NPRF, um, which uh, started in 2010, was to liquidate 80% of the assets of the fund uh, to be available for, for bank recapitalization. So, but that was a strategic imperative and, you know, it's not just the banks, the whole economy, you know, had gone, had gone overboard and, you know, our uh, uh, fund's contribution to resolving it was that there were assets there, which had been invested for the long term, but they were substantially in liquid assets in, you know, equity markets and bond markets around the world. And so uh, they were realizable pretty quickly. And so, you know, during 2011, essentially, uh, first part of 2011, you know, the bulk of the fund was uh, liquidated and used as a significant element of the recapitalization of, uh, of AIB and Bank of Ireland. Now, as you say, uh, people don't tend to be interested in piggy banks when things are going well, but when things take a, a downswing, suddenly there's a lot of interest in them. The, the funds you manage uh, delivered a return of 5.2% last year, and that was a pretty decent return considering you, you, you do operate reasonably conservatively being a state-backed uh, fund. But suddenly when the COVID crisis broke this year, um, the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, asked you to manage a new €2 billion Euro fund, um, which is the Pandemic Stabilisation Recovery Fund. Now, <laughs> I know your area can be a little bit of an alphabet soup in terms of acronyms, but uh, getting below the skin of this, what, what is this €2 billion fund trying to achieve? So the purpose of, of this uh, fund, it's a sub-portfolio of the Ireland Strategic Investment Fund. And I would just give you know, a little bit of context here. Um, the National Pensions Reserve Fund turned into the Ireland Strategic Investment Fund, which has a mandate to invest on a commercial basis to support economic activity and employment in Ireland. And so uh, recently the ministers asked us to refocus our strategy on supporting medium and large enterprises that have, you know, were previously viable and that have uh, suffered as a re you know, from the uh, pandemic uh, where the you know, businesses everywhere, as we know, have taken a hit and where there is a path to uh, regaining future viability and where capital then can be applied 
to support these medium and large enterprises in the Irish economy moving from, you know, previously viable, you know, very significant difficulties right at the moment, starting in, in quarter two, 2020, and then uh, uh, regaining viability, you know, in many cases over a period of uh, a period of years. And what, what's the guiding light? I mean, obviously, there, there's a bottom line to all this sort of investment. Can you just talk to me a little bit of what your kind of criterion is for making those investment decisions? Well, ultimately, um, we, we will be, uh, you know, providing capital, it could be debt capital, it could be equity capital. Most likely, it may be a hybrid of both, which is, you know, potentially the, the, the best form of capital in the, in the current environment. And we will be looking to obviously make a commercial return on that capital, but in a way where that capital can make a difference uh, to the businesses that have, you know, suffered the um, uh, the knockbacks that they have, and can be the means of providing resource, essentially a financial resource, to these businesses to allow them to buy time and, uh, you know, for their customer demand to uh, uh, to recover. So it's a commercial assessment. These are medium and large enterprises, so we're focused on enterprises. Uh, with more than 50 million euros of turnover or more than 250 employees. And, uh, you know, that is what the minister has asked us to um, to prioritise, you know, and he's got a uh, sort of a large jigsaw of the whole economy and, you know, he's the uh, influencer of a lot of pieces in that jigsaw and that's what he's asked us to um, focus on. And so that's what we are, um, we've turned our ship around and we're uh, very focused uh, on that objective at the moment. And Eugene, this is a very fast-moving, dynamic fire. It's, uh, every day we see new reports from different sectors. What kind of demand so far, and I know you're only in the infancy of this project, what kind of demand are you seeing so far from companies you know, contacting you, making engagements, etc.? So, um, you know, we've been active for, uh, for, uh, for a number of weeks at this point, but it's, 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 it's not even a couple of months yet, so it is, um, it is very early days. Uh, the first point I would make is that the inbound interest that we have seen from companies are often from their advisors as well. Uh, there's been much less uh, sort of emergency room type uh, situations than we might have expected. I, I, I had envisaged, you know, having seen economic activity fall off the edge of a cliff in, in March and April, that maybe uh, businesses would be you know, needing money to meet the next payroll and so on. But actually, certainly in the medium and large enterprise sector, which is probably quite different from the uh, smaller business sector, but in the medium and large enterprise sector, these businesses have strength and resilience and, you know, are looking much further out than, than I might have initially expected. So uh, they're looking essentially for, um, they're thinking about, uh, you know, can we solidify our capital base? Can we, you know, uh, raise more capital to uh, build in more resilience? They're not clear at this point as to, you know, what the path of recovery and the pace of recovery is going to be. They're sort of, some of them are questioning, maybe they might definitely need capital, you know, later in the year, 2020. Uh, you know, some of them are talking to us on the basis of raising capital, but hoping not to need it, you know, if the recovery path is, is pretty fast. So it's been, uh, among the medium and large enterprise sector, there's been, you know, these are, you know, generally well-managed businesses, obviously, to get to be medium or large, and uh, they have more resilience to what's been, you know, a dreadful hit on customer demand than uh, more resilience than I might have um, initially expected. As for sectors, um, you know, it's, it's, it's probably uh, what we're seeing is that the, you know, the worst hit sectors 
our travel, uh, hospitality, retail, um, you know, one of the, you know, it's, it's anything to do with people moving around, to be honest, has, has suffered um, and has taken, you know, significant hit to their uh, demand line, to their customer demand. So, you know, it's, so the companies that we are seeing are looking out, you know, many months, most of them, and, uh, you know, I would say the majority, but, you know, not all, obviously, but the majority are probably uh, between them and the uh, related in some way to travel, hospitality and um, retail. And Eugene, do you expect, as you say, you haven't been called into the, the full A&E war just yet. Do you, do you expect that any work you do with these companies will be pushed out to later this year, that the, while the demand is there, it's probably a bit more elongated. There's, there's Obviously, they've usually got relationships with other lenders already, so they may be able to depend on those. There may be credit lines in place with conventional banks. So do you expect any work you're doing with these companies to kind of be later in this year, possibly into next year? Well, we're engaged with quite a lot of these companies at the moment. Um, you know, we, we have about, you know, uh, over 30, uh, you know, significant engagements ongoing. But I think the point is that, you know, they're not uh, needing, you know, a resolution by the end of next week or anything like that. So it's the, uh, I would expect that the capital raising of the bulk of these businesses will, um, you know, will take place over the, over the coming months as opposed to, you know, much, much shorter term. You know, one or two of them, you know, have maybe more immediate cash crunches, but maybe they have, uh, you know, but they, they will all have banks and they maybe have shareholders who can, you know, potentially contribute as well. So I would expect the nature of our engagement, you know, would be that, you know, there will be uh, sort of properly negotiated transactions, which, you know, will work for both sides, but which don't need to be executed, you know, in a, at emergency pace. So, uh, but I would expect, uh, you know, that, quite a lot of what we have seen so far will you know potentially turn into um into uh, into capital investments by our fund you know over the coming months but you know there's no deal that's ready to close in the next week or two um, on our books at the moment or anything uh, anything like that and Eugene, you're always walking a fine line, and you know this from your time in in the um, the pension reserve fund. Are, you know, are you investing to save companies from a precipice, or are you investing for the return, you know, the risk adjusted return you're going to get? Um, isn't that a fine line you have to walk between? kind of saving companies, but also do they have a long-term trajectory? You're not in the business of saving every company, so there are cases where they're just not viable. So is that a, is that a kind of a hard line to walk as an investment manager? It's um, it is, a, but it goes to the core of you know what we're what we're trying to do. So, in a broad sense, as I mentioned earlier, you know the businesses need to have been viable in the past. So, you know there are you know one or two of the businesses that we have um, engaged with have never really been viable, and so you know then that's not something that you know our our mandate um, uh, sort of would you know encourage or enable us to to invest in its previously viable businesses that have taken a hit. Uh, you know, a big hit in many cases, and um, uh, but they have a path to future viability. You know, I think the um, you know one of the tricky um, aspects is uh, assessing whether strategically there are some of the businesses that we're engaged with. The strategic outlook for those businesses may well have changed. You know, has their the nature of the demand from their customers changed as a result of the pandemic? You know, some of the uh, uh, some of what we're seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, not just in Ireland, but in, um, uh, you know, some of our discussions with uh, people operating globally, which, uh, you know, we have um, a good contact with is, you know, the switch or the, 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 the movement from, 
uh, in-store um, retail to online retail, for example. So, you know, uh, to what extent uh, have there been strategic shifts in businesses accelerated as a result of the pandemic? And, you know, assessing that is, uh, is, uh, is going to be tricky enough. But ultimately, that's a view that we'll have to take. And there will be other, you know, other uh, probably providers of capital in most cases, maybe not the same capital as us, but there will be other people putting their hand in their pocket. You know, we're, we're, we're absolutely, and the minister made the point um, at the very beginning when he announced the fund, is that we're not a bailout fund for, you know, existing financiers. We're not just going to um, uh, put money in to allow shareholders or banks to get their money out. Yeah, so, so the likes of share buybacks and special dividends uh, and so yeah. all of that is going to be uh, circumscribed. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, so there will be conditions, you know, pretty strict conditions around that. Um, either and and typically we would have to give consent over time. Um, but it would be, you know, we would expect on average, uh, you know, with the instruments that we might invest in, if it's uh, purely to uh, get co- help companies through the pandemic period, they could be, you know, two to five year period, depending on the sector. You know, some sectors recovering faster than others, and uh, you know, we would be. Uh, you know, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, existing capital would not be able to exit while we were still worried about, you know, had any worries at all about getting our money back over that period. So I expect we put some money in. Uh, we would be, you know, broadly speaking, first out um, from any uh, uh, capital redemptions from a revised, you know, or a, 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 an improved business. And, um, you know, that's that'll be part of our assessment of uh, of risk and our pricing of the transactions as well. So Eugene, I mean, a lot of people always get worried about kind of corporate welfare here, pick, picking winners, you know, industrial policy where you're trying to sort of pick certain sectors and, and pick certain companies. It sounds like you're you're rowing against that. That's not the kind of vision that you have in mind here. This is very much uh, an, an event, a once in a lifetime event, and you see yourselves out in two or three years. So that's where the exit strategy is so important. Well, I, I think, you know, certainly um, for the stabilization part of the pandemic stabilization and recovery fund, uh, you know, we would see ourselves, you know, exiting in, you know, it, it could be longer than three years, to be honest, in some some sectors have been, you know, you know, very, very badly hit, but say two to five years. But then there is the recovery. And, you know, uh, in the in the in the last few years prior to the um, PSRF, the um, Ireland Strategic Investment Fund, we were investing for, uh, you know, growth, essentially, and investing um, in in line with some strategically important priority themes that the minister um, had, you know, had agreed. And so I would expect as the stabilization progresses that we would revert, uh, you know, more and more to investing, re- revert to investing under these priority themes, which, um, you know, so then we could be in for, you know, a lot longer. So, you know, some investments might be a hybrid of or a mixture of uh, stabilization and then you know recovery and growth in a sense and so it's not so much black and white as there are various shades of gray maybe just to um outline those priority themes these are sort of strategic long-term strategic objectives you know for the economy in general and we have been uh, for the last uh, couple of years prior to the uh, the pandemic we've been focusing our investing on 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 we have five themes uh, regional development, you know, around counterbalancing the strength of Dublin in the Irish economy. Housing was number two. We still obviously have a housing shortage. And uh, number three was indigenous businesses uh, trying to counterbalance the strength of FDI, which has been, you know, fantastic contributor to the Irish economy, but uh, more indigenous businesses that we can support to develop the better. 
Number four was climate change. And the fifth priority theme was around Brexit, which, you know, was to invest in uh, if there were sectors adversely affected by Brexit. And that's too early to say because we don't know what the Brexit is going to be like yet. But these are sort of, you know, uh, longer term, medium and long term objectives for the economy where we have been putting our capital to work. So what we've done effectively in pandemic world is we have, you know, put, put, put those, that investment strategy on pause while we, uh, you know, focus on the stabilization um, and the uh, dealing with the pandemic, which has been, you know, a huge hit, uh, as I say, to, um, uh, to economic activity. But over time, then we would expect to revert back, uh, you know, as the pandemic gets dealt with and stuff gets stabilized and we recover as an economy. Uh, getting back to those more strategic, longer-term um, priority theme objectives. Well, one of the things that will benefit you, Eugene, I would suggest, is that some other countries are already a little bit further down uh, the road than us on, on doing these kind of deals. Um, I've seen the Lufthansa package going through in Germany, and the UK um, Treasury has announced the uh, Project Birch, which is their kind of version of, of the kind of work you're doing. And, and a lot of the issues around all of this is what kind of form of the investment will take? Will it be just plain old equity, debt, as you said, some kind of hybrid instrument or preference shares of some description? I mean, do you have any views on the kind of approach you might take in that area? What kind of instrument you, you might opt for? Or is it very much uh, done on a case-by-case basis? It's actually done totally uh, on a case-by-case basis. So not just in pandemic world, but the um, ISIF in general, because we are, you know, a big fund in still, you know, a relatively small economy. And it's not, uh, it's not possible really for the ISIF ever to uh, develop a top-down sort of strategy and say, you know, that's, uh, uh, we will, you know, develop a top-down strategy and then, then invest like that and, you know, not do everything else. Uh, Ultimately, in terms of supporting economic activity and employment in Ireland, uh, we're really driven by the bottom-up uh, opportunities that emerge from the Irish economy and that we can, you know, help originate. And so it's, it, it is very bottom-up driven. So that means then that the nature, we have huge flexibility, which is our big, big advantage. We can invest anywhere in the capital structure, any type of, we have no regulatory or other restrictions on how we can invest. So ultimately we have invested you know, uh, over time and continue to look at investing in a way uh, in instruments that makes most sense uh, for the business. So it depends on what the business's uh, circumstances are, the challenges that they face, you know, how they can deal with those challenges, what their shareholders and banks' perspectives are. And we can ultimately invest, you know, uh, uh, we can structure our capital investment to hopefully optimize around, uh, you know, all of those factors. And uh, so that means how we invest is, uh, you know, in a debt or equity or hybrid sense is is very driven by bottom up. But I sense in the pandemic world, you know, that some hybrid, it's very difficult to value equity at the moment. Um, lots of businesses, you know, if they can get through this, they don't really want to, you know, sell equity to other people, which is totally fine. But, you know, in a, once you've taken a, you know, a hit debt, uh, unless you're very, very low levels of leverage to begin with, uh, you know, too much debt is a danger. And so this is why I think, you know, some hybrid instruments where there might not be a requirement uh, on businesses to, you know, uh, to pay cash out in the first couple of years, but ultimately, you know, maybe some junior debt or, you know, redeemable preference shares or something is, is, um, is, is the most likely uh, method of uh, addressing pandemic problems in businesses. 
Yeah, it's a hard one to square, isn't it? Because well, what the, the taxpayer conventionally would want is to be as high up, you know, if the company does get into trouble and goes to the wall, to be able to get as much back as possible. So you, you sort of think a debt instrument of some kind would, would do the trick there. But equally, the company, that's maybe the last thing they want. They want yeah. probably just ordinary equity. So you've got all these stakeholders. You've got to kind of um, kind of move. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, the way, the way we think about that, though, is that whatever is the appropriate form of capital investment, we then look at, you know, what's the appropriate risk-adjusted expected return, and that feeds into our pricing. So, you know, if the, if the need is for something that is quite low risk, um, you know, then we can price that accordingly. But so we can we can we can price anywhere on the um, uh, we can go anywhere on the capital uh, on the capital stack, and we we price accordingly according to risk. So you know, where where it, it doesn't uh, cause us too much bother, if you like, uh, you know, if we have a portfolio of slightly higher risk investments, and clearly we don't want ever to um, uh, to lose money. But you know, that's part of what we have to do. And as long as we price it appropriately, then you know, at an overall portfolio level. The return for the taxpayer should be uh, should be fine, and that's you know obviously there's many a slip between cup and lip and all that, but um that is that is our objective, um, and it, portfolio construction becomes quite a big um, the big factor then as well. And Eugene, you run you run a tight operation there uh, at the ISIF. I mean, I think you've about forty five staff. Is that correct? Something like that, forty or five, fifty staff. Yeah, we have we have between forty five and fifty on our investment team, and then within wider NTMA there are. Um, uh, you know, legal people and uh, finance, operational IT, and so on. So, you know, the best uh, estimate of you know the full time equivalent is you know between seventy five and eighty, something like that. Um, uh, but we have uh, uh, forty five plus in our uh, directly in our investment team. Yeah. So, so the thought that occurs to me there, you're you're you know you're going to be increasing your exposure to a lot more companies. You've got extra funds to to, to invest now. You, you may have to oversee that portfolio a little bit more intensively. You may be going into new sectors that you, you haven't been in before. Will there be a much bigger job of work now? To I know that you're trying to get away from the idea of taking seats around boards. You're trying to be an investor, strictly an investor. But do you see extra work and extra heft coming your way? Um, needed to sort of supervise all these extra investments you'll be taking on. I uh, undoubtedly, you know, if the uh, if we make significant number of investments, be they debt or equity, um, there will be you know extra workload required. And uh, yeah, and actually, you know, we do have a we we do take board positions uh, quite often in equity um, uh, investments, for example, uh, depending on the quantum of our investment and the percentage, you know, of the company that we. Um, uh, that we own, but so we, we we do have a number of our team are on um you know have 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 board responsibilities on investee businesses as well. So ultimately, resourcing, you know, and building in the flexibility into the resourcing, you know, becomes an issue for us. Uh, you know, but we don't necessarily. It's not just you know everybody uh, in, in our team. Uh, you know, we have uh, we're uh, we've have um, you know some advisory uh, support. Uh, we've we've uh, through a, a tender process, we've got access to um, transaction services advisory uh, resource and a corporate finance advisory resource. And so, it's a question. We have a network as well, a more general network, which we can potentially use for uh, people who, who who might want to. Uh, if we if we have board, if we need to put somebody on boards to represent us, um, uh, in addition to our team members. So you know that has been the the resourcing is being sort of managed but um, as I say as yet the volumes you know are not uh, enough to cause us huge concern in that regard we're building in some flexibility at the moment but you know I think a key point probably 
is uh, a watch point is uh, we think there's a significant possibility of the volumes um, that we might be seeing increasing, uh, you know, maybe in quarter three after, um, you know, the government supports, which have been really helpful for employees if they get unwound or, um, you know, um, eliminated. Banks have offered, uh, you know, a lot of forbearance and support, uh, which I think is probably for a six-month period. So, you know, but after September, the banks would may need to take, you know, a stronger view and, you know, they may be required by regulatory uh, pressures to take stronger views. Landlords have been, you know, offering forbearance as well. So, uh, you know, even though demand has been crushed, um, the combination of government supports for staff, uh, bank forbearance and some landlord forbearance has meant that businesses have been able to, you know, keep going better than, much better than expected um, through this period. But, um, you know, that may, um, when they begin to, you know, fall away probably later in the year, if demand hasn't recovered, if customer demand hasn't recovered, you know, we are needing, coming back to your resourcing question, where, you know, we're wanting to be ready uh, for, you know, a big uptick in um, uh, inbounds at that point, which we see as a possibility, far from a certainty, but definitely a possibility. So, so um, you know, the revenue are another one who are exercising forbearance, landlords, you mentioned banks. So all of those, if some of that gets unwound or, or even partially, you see yourselves making a, a potentially very positive contribution later in the year where they they might lose those crutches and, and you guys could come in and, and offer some alternative that would keep a lot of the businesses going. That's the way you see a potential evolution of this. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the, the design in a sense. And, you know, by later in the year as well, we will all probably have a better uh, visibility on, uh, you know, the unwinding of, you know, the health-related restrictions and so on, and the speed at which, uh, you know, consumer demand is, uh, is 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 reverting to norm, and that could be slow or medium or fast. But you know, if it's slow, that means even though companies might see it coming, they might need capital to get them, you know, uh, you know, out to twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, and you know, we can definitely um, play a part there, and that will be our objective. And Eugene, just to take a little bit away from the pandemic, back to the, the other funds that you have a role in as director of, of the ISIF. I mean, how are things going there? We've sort of seen uh, kind of a surprising resilience, I suppose, in stock markets. Uh, a lot of people saying Wall Street is cut off or Main Street, but that's where it's been going. And NASDAQ has actually been setting some new records recently. How have the other funds that you oversee been performing since this um, pandemic era came upon us? So um, I think it would be, you know, broadly uh, consistent with, you know, what, I, what I've been describing. It's still, you know, early days in many ways to, um, to, uh, to conclude on that. Uh, the stock markets clearly have recovered. Uh, there's huge amounts of, uh, you know, money from the Fed and the ECB in this and, and other, regu- you know, uh, central banks um, in the system. You know, and that finds its way out the risk curve from government bonds to corporate bonds to, you know, to equity markets. And, uh, you know, we know that's been the case for the last few years. And so that has been, you know, a big factor. And I think as well, uh, you know, there was some fear back in March that the um, uh, the COVID-19 could have, you know, catastrophic healthcare effects. And, you know, obviously um, there have been, you know, bad uh, outcomes and, you know, worse than obviously much worse than, uh, sort of normal life outcomes, but not as catastrophic um, as as might have been feared. And I think there was a lot of that fear was priced into the um, the collapse in uh, in um, in stock markets in uh, in March. Global markets are uh, significantly affected by um, uh, official money flows from um, uh, from from central banks and so on. 
uh, which is is equally not Main Street. It's it's definitely more Wall Street than Main Street, and um, so you know that's the uh, that's the first point. And then you know how that flows into you know our uh, our other portfolio investments. You know some of them obviously you know uh, uh, healthcare uh, as a sector has done quite well. Technology, unless it's related to the travel sector, generally. You know the, the the leading technology companies are driving the Nasdaq, and there is definitely more of a, a, a you know differentiator between the winners and the losers, strategic winners and strategic losers. That difference has been amplified, I think, by the um, uh, by the pandemic experience. So you know, I would say um, our general portfolio, the rest of our portfolio. Is doing okay. There have been, you know, some hits. We're not, you know, there, there's there's plenty of uh, investments that we're keeping an eye on, but it's not. It's a you know a bit of a hit rather than you know a catastrophic. Um, it's not a catastrophic uh, impact, but a bit of a hit to uh, to our portfolio is how it is at the moment. And I think the big risk to it would be if there were major, you know, second waves of COVID nineteen. You know, and uh, consumers around the world were to you know become fearful or you know become more fearful than at the moment, then you know that would be tough for all uh, all businesses. I think, and our portfolio certainly would not be immune from that. Okay, well, one of the threads running through this podcast, Eugene, is is you're, you're reasonably upbeat in the circumstances. Certainly, that's what I'm detecting uh, in relation to the pandemic, the, the kind of applications you've had so far. But overall, and, and, and we have to bring it to a close now just because of time constraints, where are you at? Where's your head at in terms of optimism, pessimism about the, the economics of this, the, um, the, the value of your own investments you've mentioned, but just where the state can make an impact and how the businesses can be nurtured and kind of husbanded through this crisis. What is your overall kind of verdict on where we're at? I think um, uh, I'm maybe quite optimistic by nature anyway. So, you know, I'm oriented maybe a bit towards optimism. Um, but I think the Irish economy, relative to a lot of other countries, uh, is, in, is in good shape. Uh, you know, I think the significant uh, technology and healthcare FDI sectors, you know, makes a big difference to the Irish economy. And uh, clearly, uh, you know, I've talked about tourism before, for example, you know, anywhere that's significantly dependent on tourism, uh, you know, is really struggling. And it's very difficult for those um, uh, for those regions or areas or businesses. But on average and in general, uh, you know, I think we are uh, pretty well positioned. Uh, as a country to to uh, to emerge from this, I think the big difference compared to ten years ago or twelve years ago is the uh, much lower leverage in the system. I think we as in general have learned our lesson quite well, and uh, it, with lower amounts of leverage and borrowing, um, that has you know dramatically increases the resilience you know at at all levels uh, to downturns. So I think that's been you know a um, you know a big factor. I would say in relation to where our fund, you know, can make a difference. I think the point is uh, we're a strategic fund, but our sort of strategy has changed and evolved, you know, over the last, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years, according to the strategic imperatives at the time. And it's, so I think the whole notion of dialing up and dialing down um, our activities in different areas, depending on where are the most important objectives at the time, I think that can be pretty helpful in that flexibility 
you know, has stood to us um, and it's what we need, you know, definitely to uh, to preserve. Okay, Eugene, we'll leave it on that optimistic note. As you say, we'll probably check in with you again maybe later in the year and see how things have evolved. Um, there's a little bit of a holding pattern with some of the companies you've mentioned, forbearance in the banking, the property sector and so on. So I think the full picture of what's going on here is not to be revealed yet, but it's good that at least the fund is in place, you're engaging with companies, you have um, contacts, as you said, by the companies themselves and their advisors. So, you know, there's a sort of a, a certain level of activity making its way through, uh, and we'll have a better idea later this year how that um, safety net is impacting the private uh, sector and those companies that are able to come forward. Thanks for coming on and giving us an earlier overview of your career. You certainly <laughs> had an interesting few years into the financial crisis. You then had a, a little bit of a, a few years of a little bit of restful peace for a while. Now we're back into yet again another crisis. I suppose it's the nature of the beast in financial markets. And thanks for coming on today, Eugene. Very appreciative of it. Thank you, Emerson. Thank you. Thank you.